Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. I hope and I pray that that is your song today. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave is indisputable. But the question is, have you put your faith and trust in him? I pray that today, if you have not, that you would. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the awesome privilege we have to gather together in your name. Thank you for what you have accomplished. Since the beginning of earth, you had a redemptive plan that even after Adam and Eve sinned and that sin fell upon all of humanity, you had always planned to redeem us through the cross, through Christ. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the sinless life. Thank you for the great sacrifice. Thank you that he rose again with all power in his hand. And today we declare that, that good news to the world. May many believe in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Can, can you give God a hand clap of praise? You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let's thank God for our wonderful worship team as well today. What an awesome job they did. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. You know, it's Easter Sunday morning. It's a great uh, day. Families are gathered together, not only across our 14 campuses, but really across the world as you think about this great global celebration. And why so much celebration? It's because uh, the greatest part of the gospel is the fact that it is true, that the events that we are celebrating today are not make-believe, they are not fairy tale. As a matter of fact, many have said that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is arguably the most attested and proven uh, event of antiquity. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus's death, burial, resurrection has been examined uh, by scholars, by historians alike, and they've all concluded the same thing, and that is that Jesus really did live, that he really did die. Even the Bible says Satan knows that he rose from the grave, that he is the Son of God. It is what we do with that information that makes a difference. You know, the power of this day, honestly, is uh, hard to articulate fully in all of its glory. You know, every preacher approaches this moment realizing how thoroughly inadequate our words are to describe what took place. But that's the case anytime a spectacular event takes place, that words seem to fail to fully describe it. Think about any great event from history. I'll use sports for just a moment. Last night, uh, if you are a basketball fan, maybe you were watching the final four semifinals that were taking place. The evening uh, game feature, featured uh, Gonzaga from uh, Spokane, Washington, this small, scrappy school that's raised itself to national attention, going up against the notorious UCLA Bruins. I call them notorious because they knocked out my Spartans and the Wolverines, so we don't like them here. If you're from California, praise God, the blood of Jesus covers all sin. <laughs> but they were going up against one another, and it was a pretty epic game if you watched it. I understand if it was too painful for you to look at. 
Uh, but with about three seconds left, Johnny Juzang, who is the uh, kind of star player for the UCLA Bruins, makes a layup to tie the game in overtime. Uh, the type of game that uh, announcers get excited about, sports broadcasters get excited about, and it looks inevitable that this game is going to dope double overtime. Gonzaga inbounds the basketball to their star guard, freshman phenom, uh, Jalen Suggs, and he dribbles quickly across half court. And just barely across half court, he heaves the ball with less than a second on the clock. And uh, who would have imagined? It banks off the backboard and it goes in and Gonzaga wins, taking down those notorious UCLA Bruins and they win 93 to 90. Now I just did my best to describe that phenomenal event. But if you would ask the guys who were there, who were eyewitnesses, who were experiencing the moment, they would have said, Chris, you described it accurately, but there's no way you could have described it in all of its glory because the experience was exhilarating. Well, so it is. Today, we get a chance to go beyond just the words of the preacher. We get a chance to go back to the firsthand eyewitnesses as they describe what they experienced on that first Easter. Now, when last we were together, it was on Good Friday, and we looked at Jesus on the cross. And why did he die? Because of our sins. The incarnation was for the purpose of the crucifixion. He came so that he might die and pay a sin debt that we could not pay. We were on the wrong side of God's law, but Jesus made it right, standing in our stead and taking the judgment that was rightfully due you and me. And as he hung there on the cross, the Bible tells us on that Friday that those who were his friends and companions, they uh, quickly wrapped his body and they put him in a grave, and there he was on Friday. And then Saturday he was there, what we call Silent Saturday. But then Sunday, as the sun was rising, we have the events of, of the day where he raises from the grave with all power in his hands. And although all of this is true, it also has such profound meaning to us. What does the resurrection tell us? It reminds us that you can put hope in the grave, but it will resurrect again. How many praise God for that? That God's love cannot be buried. If you try to bury it, it will raise again. What does the resurrection tell us? It's that God's word and his truth always triumphs over darkness and death. And my friends, this is what we get a chance to examine today as we look to the scripture. But let me just say one more thing. And that is, I believe that the, the, uh, that the magnitude and the import of the resurrection takes on even deeper meaning if you've ever experienced what it's like to be separated from someone you love and to long to be reunited. You know, this pandemic has presented us with the reality of that. Many parents and even grandparents have been separated from those that they love, longing for reunification. But maybe you can think of this as a parent. All of us have experienced this before, being at a large event with your children, thinking that they're near your side when they're small, only to lose sight of them for just a moment and to turn back around and they're not standing there. Any parents ever experienced this 
before. Many of us have experienced that. You know what it's like for your heart to begin to race for the fearful thoughts to begin to run through your mind. You know what it's like to begin to feel like seconds are turning into minutes and minutes into hours, and hours feel like days when you're separated, looking for your child, wondering if they're okay. You know how quickly bad thoughts come into your head, and you know how quickly you begin to pray and negotiate with God. God, please bring them back. But we also know the joy uh, when that child is returned to you. Maybe security brings them back and say your son or daughter wandered away, or maybe you circle back your steps and you see them standing there with little tears coming down their eyes because they were waiting for you at that place where there were so many strange faces. I want you to think for a moment about how the disciples, how Jesus' friends and family must have felt on that Friday as they saw him hanging on that cross. The, the fear that must have come over their hearts thinking about what life would be like without him. The thought that somehow this was the end after seeing him beaten and whipped. I want you to consider that as we go to Matthew chapter 28. Won't you join me there? And in Matthew chapter 28, we get a chance to see not only the emotion that they must have been feeling when he hung on that cross, but we also get a chance to join in the joy that they felt as he was reunited with them. As the scriptures remind us of the name that was ascribed to him, Emmanuel, God with us, Christ is with us, Christ is with you, Christ is with me. And isn't it amazing how the presence of one person has the power of changing absolutely everything? Parents know that joy of being reunited with their child, how that changes everything. Well, this is the reunification of the greatest reunification, rather, of, the, of all of human history, the greatest reunification that man has ever known. What chapter 28 does for us is it takes us on a journey to three locations as we travel with Jesus' friends through the days between uh, Easter and then, I'm sorry, Good Friday and then uh, Easter Sunday morning. We start at the tomb. That's the first geographical location we find his friends. And it says here in verse number one, now after the Sabbath towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. I just want to pause there for just a moment to not only identify the location, but to identify the first set of friends, Jesus' friends that we encounter, it's women. I think it's an important and powerful historical note to note that although the men who followed him were called formerly his disciples, these brave women uh, were faithfully, courageously standing by their Savior. Even when fear of following him fell upon the hearts of the disciples and leading up to the cross, the Bible tells us that they, they scattered, they were afraid, not abandoning their faith, but certainly fearful to stand by the side of Jesus. These brave and courageous women went to uh, the tomb, this, this guarded uh, tomb to anoint the body of the Savior. And I just want the women who are here today to know that Jesus has been and will be always a friend to women. And I thank God for that. But going on in verse number two, it says, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. I hope that you don't miss not only the joy and the power of this moment, but I hope you don't miss the irony of this moment. Here these guards were sent and assigned one job, and their one job was to guard the tomb of a dead man, a dead man who had followers that were too fearful to stick by his side during his trial, a dead man who had been crucified in front of all of the watching eyes of Jerusalem, a dead man whose death was broadcast and, and uh, celebrated by uh, the Sanhedrin and the religious rulers of the day. He was dead. Jesus was dead, dead. And here he was in the tomb, and their only job was to guard the tomb, but then God intervenes. Aren't you glad that God steps into the moment? And to the moments that the devil thinks he's won, and to the moments of human history where Satan wants to wave his flag and God says, no, Satan, you cannot have this moment. I'm grateful that he stepped in on this Easter Sunday morning. And it says here in verse number four, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Their job was to watch a dead man and they ended up like dead men. This is what happens when we stand against the Savior. This is what happens when we deny God, is that everything turns to death. Every brokenness happens in our lives when we refuse and deny the truth of Jesus' resurrection. And so here they are, and overwhelmed by the glory of God, laying there. And why were they like dead men? It's because of fear. And this is what the resurrection represents for those who have not believed. You know, I recognize that there are many who are gathered here today investigating these things. Some of you, for the first time, you've maybe come into a church, and I'm grateful for you being here. I want to just remind you that the things that I'm reading to you are historically verified. The things that I'm reading to you concerning the accounts of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are not make-believe. They are not fable. They are not myth. They are history. But it's a living history. It's a history that changes the world because if Christ is risen, then he is who he said he was. He is Lord, Lord of all, Lord and King of the Jews, King of the Gentiles, King of heaven, King of the world. He is certainly Lord of our lives. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge and accept and believe that. Now for those who do, we're gonna see the response. But for those who choose to reject, then his resurrection is a reason for fear because he is coming back again. 
and he will judge all men for the deeds that we have committed in the body. But the scripture goes on to say that there was a different response for those ladies. Look at verse number eight. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Do you see how fear turns to great joy for those who have put their faith and trust in him? How many this morning have great joy that the tomb is empty? How many hear that as good news? How many celebrate that fact? This is what we have in Jesus is, is, is the good news that because he lives, we have life. His resurrection means that Satan's power over our lives is defeated, and it also means that there is more to this life than this fallen world. You know, one pastor that I know says this to his unbelieving friends, that if you don't believe the resurrection, you should at least hope that it's true. And why should you hope that it's true? It's because if all there is is this world, then we have nothing to look forward to. There's no reason for justice. There's no reason for love. There's no reason or oughtness in life. It's all we have is random chance and, and brokenness all around us. But if there is something beyond this world, if there is the promise of heaven and also the, the reality of an eternity of condemnation for those who reject Jesus, there is the ultimate reason to seek after truth, justice, and love. We not only hope that it's true, we know that it is true, and that is why it is of great joy. That is why we celebrate the fact that Christ is risen, he is alive, and he is with us Today, oh, praise the name of the Lord, our God. And so then the scene shifts. It shifts from the tomb to the city, the region of Galilee. And look at what it says uh, in this next section, verses 11 through 15. We see here while they were going, these women, as they were going to the city where Jesus had told them to go to Galilee, Behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while, he, while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble." So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. We see now why the disciples had to write these accounts to set the record straight. But I want you again to see the irony that drips from every verse of this account. These women went boldly back to the city in the, in the, in the open to declare that Jesus was alive. The soldiers went timidly back to the city in secret to declare that Jesus was alive. The chief priests, the rulers of the day, did to those soldiers what they had done to Judas previously. They bribed them, they gave them money and made up a fictitious story as if that was going to fly. Think about it for just a moment. Here's the story that they would have everyone to believe. That those timid disciples who were too afraid to follow Jesus through his trial somehow mustered up the courage to go up against uh, a group of Roman guards to try to get back the body of Jesus. Highly unlikely and improbable. And even if 
they were able to pull that off. Wouldn't it be just as simple to go and shake them down and to find the body of Jesus wherever they had secretly hid it? And if they knew they had hidden his body and lied about it, when you put them on trial and they were about to be executed for that lie, wouldn't they at that moment at least tell the truth? I mean, most of us may lie if we thought there was some social advantage to it, but at the moment where we thought we were going to lose our lives, surely we would tell the truth then. All of this was a poorly planned deception But that's how deception works. Deception always leads us into greater tragedy, greater problems. And this world is so full of deception, and we often are self-deceived. But today I want to encourage you and appeal to you to believe the truth concerning Jesus. Maybe the most uh, wonderful part of the irony of this story is that even their lie was used by God to help to spread the good news that the tomb was empty. They had to go and tell everybody that he's not in the tomb. And here these guards would have been terribly afraid that their lives would have been on the line. But yet they were left with no other option. There was no body. Jesus had risen just as he said he would. But you know what's really interesting is where they are. They are in the city. And you know what's interesting about every city is every city has its own narrative about Jesus. Every culture has its own narrative about Jesus. And what is the narrative of our culture about Jesus? Well, there's so many things that people say about Jesus, about him being maybe a good teacher or a good prophet, I wonder what narrative has shaped your heart about him. Have you followed the narrative or the rumors about Jesus that others have said, or have you checked the report yourself? When you check the scriptures yourself, what you must conclude is that Jesus Christ is more than just prophet. He is Lord of all, and the prophetic fulfillment of his resurrection confirms it that everything that God said would happen, happened in Jesus Christ. Don't believe the rumors, believe the truth of God's word. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he rose again, and that today he stands to offer grace, mercy, and salvation. How many believe the word of God? Well, the scene quickly shifts from the tomb to the city to a mountain in Galilee, and no random mountain. This was a significant mountain. And here he is surrounded by the set of closest friends who walk with him through all of life. He is surrounded by his disciples. And look at what it says. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus takes them to this mountain in Galilee that holds tremendous significance for them. Why? Because in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 19, what we discover is that this was the very mountain in which they were commissioned. 
They were called, they were appointed by Jesus, and they were sent out. Jesus brings them back to that historic place. And imagine what they must have saw, standing on that mountain, overlooking the region in which they had done all of their ministry. What it would have no doubt brought back to their minds were memories of moments with Jesus. They would have remembered the place where Jesus cast the demons out of the demoniac. They would have remembered the place where Jesus fed the 5,000. They would have looked and they would have saw places where Jesus taught them in private and crowds and masses in public. They would have remembered Peter, no doubt, would have looked from that mountaintop and remembered as he looked down the place where Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Think as their minds flooded with memories, and I think that's what God intended. He wanted them to rehearse the moments of their lives so that they could be reminded that God was with them every step of the way, that Christ was with them in every moment. Friends, today I want to remind you, as you look back over your life, that God has been merciful and gracious to you that God has been at work in every step and stage of your life. Think about those moments you thought you would never make it, but by God's grace, you survived. Think about those moments you thought you were at the end of yourself, but God allowed you to see yet another day. Some of you, even now, can look back over your life and say, I have no idea how I made it, but God. My friends, the good news is that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Christ was with them. Christ is with us. And because of his resurrection, we have hope that Christ will be with us even into eternity. And that is why we praise the name of the Lord, our God. It's because every step of the way, he is with us. And then he says to them, because I've been with you, go and tell the world Tell the world what? That the hope they've been looking for, the love they've been longing for, it is here that God has triumphed, that the kingdom has been inaugurated in the resurrection of Christ, that it has come and that we can have forgiveness, restoration, and friendship. Friendship with the creator, a friendship that relieves us of the burden of having to be Lord of our own lives, and the friendship that changes absolutely everything. My friends, this is good news. And my job is less to try to persuade you and more to simply be a reporter of this good news. What you do with it is your choice. But I must tell you the outcome, that he is coming back again and we don't earn salvation through our works. How do we experience salvation? Well, if you could just look at one more verse of scripture with me. It's Mark chapter one. It's the next page of your Bible. Or if you scroll a little bit in your phone, you'll see it. And it's verse number 15. And it simply says, and saying, this is Jesus, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. These are the two things that are required. First is repentance, to turn from sin to God, from self-righteousness to your righteousness being fully in Jesus. And belief, to believe that he is Lord of all. And if you believe these things, 
I encourage you now to turn to him in faith. And as you do, it's like no other relationship. The presence of Jesus has the power to change everything in our lives. I want us to take a moment to just ponder these things that we have heard. The worship team is gonna come out again. And they're gonna lead us in a beautiful song, Emmanuel. As you listen to the words of these songs, let it wash over your heart and consider the fact that Jesus is Lord of all and that he is risen today. Amen? Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.